Blog Talk Radio. Well, 
I welcome you to tonight's broadcast, and I just want to make sure I let you know that we are not live. We are pre-recorded. Therefore, you are not able to call in this particular night. Normally, we are throwing that number out there and asking you to call in, but because this is a pre-recording, please hold your calls. Do not call in. But please take note of the fact that The Right Voice is on social media. We are on Twitter as well as Facebook. And so please go over to Facebook to The Right Voice Radio and like us over there. And then head on over to Twitter and there you will find us at The Right Voice One. So on Twitter, it is at The Right Voice One. And on Facebook, it is The Right Voice Radio. Hit us up, uh, share with your friends, and let's get the word out about The Right Voice. So, again, I want to thank you. And we're going to jump right into this broadcast. And I I just want to start, uh, obviously, by uh, with something that you have heard uh, already. Uh, My condolences concerning the, the death of our Supreme Court Justice Uh, Antonin Scalia, our condolences, my condolences to his family, to his loved ones, to his colleagues. He, as you know, passed away on Saturday, and America has lost a a conservative hero, a servant, obviously, of the court and of the country. And so we'll we'll jump back into that later. But I I did want to start by by paying my uh, my respects, of course, to to his family, to his loved ones. And really to all of us. Um, and so, again, we'll we'll get back to that. But <clears throat> let's just look back to start off with wh- what we discussed last week. We talked about Black History Month. And I had a guest on, my Breitbart News colleague, Jerome Hudson. And uh, he's a social commenter. He's a, a columnist. And I say he's an expert on all things race over at Breitbart. Well, he talked about why he was not pro-Black History Month, and we we really delved into that. I asked him a lot of questions. You, you might say I, I challenged him a little bit because I didn't fully agree with him, and then I, I broke down what I thought, you know, but but first, uh, Jerome, he talked about the fact that he, he just wasn't that, it's just not that important to him, you know, it's more important to, to move ahead. He he said it was, you know, somewhat divisive, and I, and I understood uh, some of the points that that he was making, but then I also had some points that I wanted to make, and um, and I shared the, the fact that I too, at times as a teacher, having taught in the public school English English language arts for almost eighteen years, um, I, toward the end of my my career, I struggled a little bit too with the concept of Black History Month, and and I shared why. Uh, so. You know, if you did not catch last week's broadcast, please go to uh, com slash the right voice. And then you will see a list of uh, you'll see a list of our of our uh, episodes there. And, uh, and one of those episodes is what we talked about last week. And it's called Do Black Conservatives Blow Off Black History Month? So if you go over there to blogtalkradio.com slash the right voice, you'll be able to scroll down. You'll see Do Black Conservatives Blow Off Black History Month? And you can take a look at that. But, um, you know, what I really 
want to do is sort of reiterate what I talked about about then. And uh, so, you know, first of all, this particular episode is called Still I Rise, Empowerment Over Victimhood. And some of the things that I pointed out last week had to do with the fact that I do believe that there is a connection between your identity, who you, you know, where you came from and where you're going. I don't see them as mutually exclusive. I don't see, well, we need to forget the past and we need to move on. No, I do think, however, that is important how we look at the past. And I think for many people, Black History Month has become a negative thing because they see it as attached to victimhood. And very often, that's what we hear. As a teacher, one of the things we heard all the time was, you know, we hear about slavery all the time. We hear about victimhood all the time. And people get tired of that. But at the same time, it's not necessarily, the problem is not Black History Month. The problem is how we're dealing with it. And I share my experiences as a teacher. When I first got hired, and you'll you'll have to go to that broadcast in order to you know, you go to that broadcast to check it out. But I, I, I talked about how black students, when I was hired, how I walked through that front door on my very first day and how they applauded me. I talked about the fact that how students asked me, now that you're here, and I was the only black teacher at the time, now that you're here, will we celebrate Black History Month? And And I am not saying that black history should only be discussed during February. And that's another issue that some people have. Jerome talked about that as well. No, that's a problem. It was never intended to just be about February. It should be a part of the broader American history. But I'm of the belief that you can walk and chew gum at the same time. I'm of the belief that I can celebrate black history as a part of American history as we celebrate all history that makes us one. We can celebrate that uniqueness all year. We can celebrate accomplishments of Americans, some of whom happen to be black, all year, and we can still have Black History Month in the same way that you as a parent can celebrate your child's life every day of the year, but also make the birthday special. It's not one or the other. And I found that when we would do things for Black History, Students, not just black students, so it's not, it doesn't have to be divisive, but students, white students, black students, Asian students, whatever, they just loved it, and it was seriously lacking, and so, again, go go get the show, because you're not going to catch it all, all right now, but, um, so that, that's, that's the deal, that's one of the things that, that we talked about, about last week, that I feel are very, very important, and so, uh, I want to sort of piggyback off that <clears throat> a little bit. And one of the things that bugs me about liberalism is the victimhood that it seems to embrace under the guise of empowerment, under the guise of trying to help. And we see that in this election cycle. You know, uh, I listen to... Uh, to Senator Bernie Sanders and former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton. And I I hear what I believe is pandering for Black votes, which Democrats are very good at. And unfortunately, many in the Black community have bought into, you know, which is part of the reason, I suppose, why uh, maybe up to 95, 90, 95% of Black people vote for Democrats regardless. And, uh, and so 
I'm bothered by that. I listened to Bernie Sanders. I listened to Hillary Clinton. I listened to them talk about how they're going to swoop in and make things and make things better and, and how unfair and unjust the system is. And we know that racism does exist, but these people play on that. They play on the emotions of people and they dupe people into believing that they're the answer. Now, I want to share something with you because I have a weekly column in the Southeast Missourian newspaper, and my uh, my column today, it comes out every Tuesday, my column today is called Liberalism Will Never Liberate the Black Community. And again, liberalism will never liberate the black community. That's today's <clears throat> column. And I want to share that column because it encapsulates how I feel about this issue. It cannot possibly give the whole story, but it does encapsulate or sum up how I feel about this issue. So I am going to to share this column with you, and I want you to, to listen very carefully to what I I have written here in this column that liberalism will never liberate the Black community. And I write, History teaches that it has not always been, but liberals have a way of appealing to the black community. Yes, I prefer black to African American. They say all the right things and post with all the right people, pose with all the right people, giving the appearance of being the pro minority compassionate party. This, of course, is not historically accurate. Republicans, not Democrats, fought to free and empower Blacks, a truth that some do not know and others will not admit. Black History Month is as good a time as any to remind people that Abraham Lincoln, a Republican, freed the slaves, and the KKK was comprised of Democrats. I don't know where I first learned it, but from the time I can remember, I had the notion that Blacks were supposed to be Democrats because that's the party that cares for the little guy. And Republicans were racist, caring only about rich white people. I was apolitical most of my life. I never even voted until 2004. So I don't know where and when that idea originated. It was just always truth. Quote, truth. And many blacks will tell you it has been there. Quote, truth as well. My eyes have since been opened. I recognize the detriment liberalism poses to the black community. As I digest the rhetoric from Hillary Clinton and Senator Bernie Sanders, the two remaining Democrat presidential candidates, I can't help but shake my head. Each each tries to outdo the other in their professed support for blacks. They excoriate law enforcement's treatment of blacks, blast the criminal justice system's incarceration of blacks, and criticize the nation for being racist toward blacks. Let's get real. Clinton and Sanders are simply pandering for votes. This is what Democrats do. They promote victimhood and promise to bring improvement. But they neither have what it takes to make things better nor truly want to make things better. Progress would be counterproductive to the left-wing agenda. The very survival of some of these people rests on the narrative that blacks are victims in need of their help. Imagine what would happen to Al Sharpton, for example, if societal ills, real or imagined, were eradicated. Hmm. 
he would end up a faint mention in history books. You know it, and I know it. And if we know it, you'd better believe Sharpton knows it too. These liberal, quote, leaders don't care about the black community. They don't desire black empowerment. What they desire is to use the weakness of blacks to maintain their own power. If they truly wanted to help blacks, they would find the courage to tell us to take personal responsibility for our own actions. They would tell us that if we really believe factions out there are just waiting to incarcerate us, impose stricter penalties on us, and deprive us, we should stop doing things that put us in the hands of these factions. They would stop telling us we need liberals to swoop down and do something for us because we cannot do for ourselves. They would stop suggesting you can't make proper decisions, you can't stay out of trouble, and you can't do better, so let's pressure society to be more lenient with you. Instead, Faust what is known as the soft bigotry, bigotry of low expectations. It is its own form of racism. Liberalism can never rescue the black community because it's not willing, for fear of losing influence with blacks, to speak the painful truth. Liberal leaders, quote unquote, don't want to talk about the fact that nearly 75% of black children are born out of wedlock and that an ungodly number of these children do not have fathers at home. Until the quote helpers are willing to tell us it's time to help ourselves, to deal with the root causes of our poverty and incarceration rather than symptoms alone, they're not really helping. Clinton and Sanders have presented themselves as champions for blacks, all the while praising Planned Parenthood and a woman's, quote, right to choose to abort her baby. Planned Parenthood founder Margaret Sanger was a eugenicist who deemed blacks, quote, unfit, quote, human weeds to be exterminated. Most of Planned Parenthood's clinics are in minority neighborhoods. And though blacks only make up 13% of the American population, blacks receive almost 40% of abortions. Abortion kills more blacks than heart disease, AIDS, cancer, accidents, and violent crime combined. Nonetheless, liberals champion abortion and Planned Parenthood while professing to love the black community. The hypocrisy is glaring. The problem with the black community is a spiritual problem, an identity problem. Uh, We've been duped into not understanding we were created for better problem. And though many of these liberals promise to take care of us and fix our flaws, they cannot. And they would not, even if they could. Because it would end what they do. Use us for their own gain. And that's my column. And that's exactly how I feel. And so when we get, you know, when I hear the the Bernie Sanders and, and the Hillary Clintons and, you know, all this talk about how unfair it is and how it's wrong to incarcerate. And, and my thought is simply what I said. If, if, the, if the racism does exist, we know that. Okay? But my point is, if you honestly think, if it is your mindset, real or imagined, that life is so unfair, 
and that and that you are being so mistreated and that when you go to court, you have less of an opportunity for fairness than someone else, then why don't you stay your butt out of court? Why? If, you, if, if things are so unfair, then make sure that you are doing what you're supposed to do rather than comparing yourself to someone else and how they're being treated better than you. Why don't you take care of you so that you're not in that situation? And so... You know, that's why I get frustrated because the, the the Democrats have a way of saying what other people want to hear and they make them perpetual victims. We are supposed to be victors, not victims. And we will never be helped by these people who simply stroke and don't, are not willing rather, and don't speak the tough love that we need to hear. It is a spiritual problem. We need God. And we also need to step up and do what it is we're supposed to be doing. You know, and that's, you know what? Lots of people don't want to hear that. We don't want to talk about the 75% born out of wedlock. We don't want to talk about personal responsibility. We don't want to talk. We just rather point our finger. We, we don't want to, you know, it's sort of like in the family at times when the family says, you know what? We just keep our dirt to ourselves. We don't want to talk about it. But if you can't talk about it, if you can't get real with it, then you, you're always putting a bandage on something rather than dealing with the root of it. Had a pastor who used to say, if there is a dog attacking someone, it is pointless to come out with bandages and start wrapping, trying to wrap the bandage around the leg while the dog is still on it. No, you've got to get the dog off the leg first. Once you get the dog off the leg, then you can start to bandage the leg. Everything else is counterproductive. We've got some dogs on our legs, and we've got to deal with them. We've got to be honest. We've got to take personal responsibility. We've got to deal with the root, and then we can deal with the symptom. That's what I'm saying. And I am tired, and I might as well not be because they're not going to stop, but I'm tired of the left playing games with race, and that is what they do. They use us to keep power. Listen, if they could help us, we would have been helped by now. Many of these communities where there's perpetual crime and nonsense going on have been under Democrat leadership forever and nothing has changed. And yet we continue to somehow believe that they're going to make a difference. They're not going to make a difference. They're just going to tell you that they're there to help. They're not. They're not. Anyway, but they want your vote. And 95% of us give it to them Every single time. It's so sad. In fact, a few years ago, I remember a conversation about uh, there was this whole idea that that we should stop putting a political party, party affiliation uh, at the, at the, in the voting booth. Don't put Democrat, don't put Republican or D or R or whatever, just put names. And I remember... I remember one of the reasons to oppose that, it was said that if they removed the party affiliation, that black people wouldn't know whom to vote for. Why? Because black people are going to vote for the Democrat no matter what. And if you remove that indication of who was the Democrat, how would they know who to vote for? Again, Soft bigotry of low expectations. We could not possibly do our own research and make decisions based on principle. Is that what they were saying? 
Mm. And yet we give them our votes and we keep them in power because we, we have bought into the lie that the right, that Republicans are anti-black. Listen, I'm going to tell you what anti-black is. Anti-black is telling you that you need somebody else for that empowerment. No. <laughs> you need somebody to tell you that you can do all things, that you are a victor, not a victim, that you come from a rich history. That you need to pull on that history, that you need to understand your identity and where you're headed, where what you're capable of. I truly believe that the conservative message is a message that benefits all people. But I believe it's absolutely essential in the black community. That message of respect for God, the sanctity of human life, lower taxes, you know, keeping more of what you earn, empowerment. We need less government intrusion in our lives and especially our finances so we can, again, earn more and keep more. We need school choice. People should be able to have the right to, to, to send their kids to school. The money that they're putting into these schools, they need to be able to have that choice. You know what? Let's put my, I'm going to put my child in, in, in and put my child where he or she can flourish and yet Democrats always fight against school choice. Why? Because they're willing to sell out children because they're in bed with the teachers' unions. We know how that works. I've heard people say that education is a civil rights issue of our day, and we're willing to sell out our kids because we want the, they, they want the endorsement of these teachers' unions and the votes of these teachers' unions. God forgive us. God have mercy on us. No, we need school choice. That's a conservative message, not a Democrat message. And we need personal responsibility. But victimhood is so often what liberals push. It creates dependency on purpose. <laughs> because anyone depending on you will continue to look to you, which is the plan. But we have to come to see that we're the victors and not the victims. And we have to stop falling for it. And when I think of talking about the past, sure, we, we, we deal with struggles. Even, you know, just because you talk about struggles doesn't mean you're being a victim. You know, we deal with struggles, but we also ha we have the, we have the legacy of a people who refuse to let their struggles define their possibilities. And there are so many ways to do that. Yes, all year long, but also during Black History Month. And that's another reason why I believe I believe that we come from a people who persevered, who endured, you know, who didn't give up, who weren't intending that we would be continual victims. And uh, and so and I and I see people all the time on the left, Democrats, whatever, and they're in church and they're talking about with God all things are possible and they can sing and shout and run the aisles and and, and God is great and everything, and yet they still come back to being victims. And pointing the finger, take personal responsibility. Take all that faith and trust that you have in God and believe that greater is he that is within you than he that is in the world. As his word says, that you are the head and not the tail, above and not beneath. As a teacher, I loved, one of the things I loved doing was uh, poetry by Langston Hughes and Maya Angelou. 
And Maya Angelou has a poem called Still I Rise. And again, the name of this show is Still I Rise, Empowerment Over Victimhood. And whether it was Black History Month or any other time of the year, we, with my, my, with my students, uh, we would go through um, some poetry. And again, two of those poems were, uh, were Still I Rise by Maya Angelou and a poem called Mother to Son by Langston Hughes. And the kids loved it because though it, they talk about struggle, they talk about they talk about coming out victorious. They talk about perseverance. They talk about power. I love it. And so I am going to share. So I hope you don't mind. Again, this is a pre-recorded show, so you're not able to call in. But I uh, am going to to share these poems with you because these are the messages that we need to hear of empowerment in spite of struggle. Still I Rise by Maya Angelou. You may write me down in history with your bitter twisted lies. You may try me in the very dirt, but still like dust I'll rise. Does my sassiness upset you? Why are you beset with gloom? Because I walk like I've got oil wells pumping in my living room. Just like moons and like suns with the certainty of tides. Just like hopes Bringing high, still I'll rise. Did you want to see me broken? Bowed head and lowered eyes, shoulders falling down like teardrops, weakened by my soulful cries. Does my haughtiness offend you? <laughs> Don't you take it awful hard, cause I laugh like I've got gold mines digging in my own backyard. You may shoot me with your words, you may cut me with your eyes, you may kill me with your hatefulness. But still, like air, I'll rise. Does my sexiness upset you? Does it come as a surprise that I dance like I've got diamonds at the meeting of my thighs? Out of the huts of history's shame, I rise. Up from a past that's rooted in pain, I rise. I'm a black ocean leaping and wide, welling and swelling, I bear in the tide. Leaving behind nights of terror and fear, I rise. Into a daybreak that's wondrously clear, I rise. Bringing the gifts that my ancestors gave, I am the dream and the hope of the slave. I rise, I rise, I rise. And you hear me snapping my fingers because as I told my students, that is what you do after you hear poetry. You don't clap, you snap. Still I Rise by Maya Angelou. And you can hear the struggle, the twisted bitter lies or bitter twisted lies, the, you know, the being trod down in the dirt. But I love the, the words of power. You know, and that was what I would try to bring across to my, my students in and, and Black History Month or Black Poetry or whatever you want to call it, American history, American poetry, whatever you want to call it. The bottom line is it's not just a message for Blacks. Every one of my students took something from that. Even the boys, it wasn't just about girls, the boys, the, the Blacks, the Hispanic, the Asian, whatever. We all got something from that because everybody understands a little bit of, of struggle, even at, in the seventh grade as they were. You expected to see me broken, but you know what? My head's not lowered. My shoulders aren't falling. 
I'm walking like I've got gold mines in my in my own backyard. I've got my head up. I believe empowerment. This is the message that we need to get across. This is the message. Not just victimhood. Not let me come in and swoop down and, and carry you because, you know, everybody's so mean to you and, and all the cops want to do is arrest you. And, and, you know, once they arrest you, you know, it's never going to be okay for you. And we've got to do. No. Get up. I love it. She didn't deny in this poem history's shame of oppression. What she said was out of the huts of history's shame. I rise up from a path that's rooted in pain. I rise. Now I'm going to hang there, hang out there. And she says, leaving behind nights of terror and fear, I rise into a daybreak that's wondrously clear. That's the message. And I believe since we talk so much about politics here, that's the message that conservatives are trying to bring. And that's the message I think that Democrats don't want them to bring because as long as we do think that we are stuck there, we'll always look to somebody to pull us out. It's a shame to be trying to get pulled out of something that you can just get up and walk out of with some perseverance. It's not necessarily easy. We have struggles. It can be done. And I love this part, bringing the gifts that my ancestors gave. And I say to my students, I would say, what are those gifts? And they would talk about faith. They would talk about hope. And they would talk about hard work. Bringing the gifts that my ancestors gave, I am the dream and the hope of the slave. I rise. I rise, I rise. And I would tell my students, yes, I am the dream and the hope of the slave. What does that mean? That means that I am everything they wanted to be but couldn't be. I am. And I would sit there with my students and I would also tell them, listen, it is not lost upon me. It is not lost on me that I stand here before you as a teacher. When my ancestors weren't even allowed to read, it was against the law for them to learn how to read. And yet I am not only reading, but teaching others to do the same and in sharing and sharing this poetry. I am what they wanted to be because they paid the price. What are we going to do with it? Remain victims? And we've got to fight at times. Yeah. But we're overcomers. Hear that song at the beginning of my show by Mandisa, whom I happen to see in concert on Saturday night, by the way, at the Rock and Worship Road Tour, or Road Show, Rock and Worship Road Show with so many other amazing Christian musical artists. We're overcomers. I love that poem. Still I rise. And then there's this poem by Langston Hughes, another positive poem, shorter, powerful nonetheless. It's called Mother to Son. Mother to Son by Langston Hughes. Well, son, I tell you, life for me ain't been no crystal staff. It's had tacks in it and splinters and boards torn up and places with no carpet on the floor. Bear. But all the time I've been climbing on and reaching landings and turning corners and sometimes going in the dark where there ain't been no light. So, boy, don't you turn back. Don't you sit down on the steps because you find this kind of hard. Don't you fall now. For I still going, honey. I still climbing. And life for me ain't been no crystal stair. 
four words from Langston Hughes, poet Langston Hughes. No, it hasn't been easy. It's had all kinds of stuff. I love the metaphors. We talk about figurative language with my students. Metaphors. It's had tacks and splinters and boards torn up, places with no carpet. And the students understand that we're not talking literal. We're talking figurative. It means we've had some trouble. This mother is saying to her son, it's not been easy. But she says all the time. I'm climbing on. I'm reaching landings. I'm turning corners. And yeah, I've been going in the dark. Ain't been no light. So if, boy, don't you turn back. Why? Because if I've done it, you can do it. Don't you sit down on the steps just because it's hard. You keep going because I'm going. In other words, look to me as your example. Not to the NBA star. Not to that rap person. Look to me. Look to your mama, boy. Life ain't been no crystal stair not been easy. It's not been handled with care. It's not been all shined up. It's not been, you know, without chinks in the armor. It's been rough. But I'm still going. And that's what it's all about. And I believe that's the message of hope. That's the message of faith. That's the message of conservatism. And people say, well, that's racist. You know, just pick yourself up by your bootstraps and move on. You know, let's believe. And so, no, I believe that this is the American story. Yes. And it should be shared all year long, all the time. But we can also celebrate Black History Month and share these nuggets and all students Adults, everybody gets something out of it. Everybody gets something out of it. We're important, and we're important to God, and he knows our name. And if he knows our name, we need to understand that we were created for greatness. So thank you for listening to that. I'm going to take a quick break. I'm going to play this song by Francesca Battistelli. He knows my name. I'll be right back. You are listening to The Right Voice with Adrian Ross, your host.
uh, thank you so much for for tuning in again. Uh, I am just so incredibly uh, pumped from doing ah, the rendition of the of the poetry. I absolutely uh, loved doing that. 18 years of teaching, and it's been a while now. I resigned from teaching in 20 uh, at the end of 2013. I didn't retire. I'm too young to retire, but I resigned to move on to some other things that I believe that God had called me to do. And uh, and so it's been a while since I've been in front of a, 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 an audience, even doing "Still I Rise" by Maya Angelou and "Mother to Son" by Langston Hughes even though occasionally I am asked to do my rendition of Mother to Son. Love it. Love what it meant to our students. Love what it what it does for me. It's very, very important, and it's a powerful, powerful message of empowerment. Still I rise. Still I rise. Empowerment over um, over victimhood. But we're going to transition into some, uh, into some, into some politics here. And uh, we know that on Saturday there was a debate the Republican debate in South Carolina, looking ahead to the South Carolina primary, which is the coming this coming Saturday on the 20th. Uh, and I was at the Rock and Worship Road show uh, concert, the Christian concert, and so I uh, I had to catch the debate, uh, the recording of it. A friend of mine DVR'd it, and I we got to take a look at it. But um, you know, it's a lot of craziness going on at this point, you know. But there are just a couple, a few takeaways that I that I want to point out, and uh, you know, all the fighting. You know, you got your Jeb Bush versus Donald Trump, and I have to tell you, I'm so tired of hearing Jeb Bush talk about my brother, my mother, leave my family alone, telling Donald Trump. I mean, he just it, it get. I mean, I understand and respect that somebody wants to defend their family, but it starts to be really, really it starts to sound really like you're whining and you're being juvenile. I mean, you know, I looked up when I was born and there was my mother and, you know, that was the great, you know, I'm like, you know, I mean, I'm sure she's a wonderful person and, and, you know, people respect her greatly, but for you to be on the campaign trail all the time whining about leave my mother alone, uh, you know, stop messing with my mommy and my brother this and my brother that, it starts to just get old. Having said that, I will say that I, I did not appreciate Donald Trump's attack on, uh, on uh, former president, George W. Bush and, you know, the whole conspiracy theory about 9-11, you know, it happened on his watch. Okay, yes, it happened on his watch, but, you know, to say that he lied about weapons of mass destruction, I mean, that's, you know, as some would say, a, a Democrat talking point, and, and even many of them won't even go there. And so for Donald Trump to do that, I just thought was not, I thought it was a low blow. I thought it was not the right way to go, and, and it just, wow, I just thought it was really deep. For him to to say, not to suggest, but to just flat out say, you know, that uh, Bush lied. And he purposely, he knew that there were no weapons of mass. You know, all this stuff, I just thought that was low. Um, and then there was a lot of booing going on during the debate and, and accusations of, you know, Trump saying that there were special interests that were brought in. And, you know, nobody denied it. You know, people calling folks liars and Rubio saying Cruz doesn't speak Spanish. And you, know, you got John Kasich, uh, governor of Ohio, who, you know, says he refuses to engage in this. And it's just at the point where it's like, are you guys serious? It just seems so, so juvenile on various levels. And I'm all about heated debate. I'm all about calling out people on their records. But some of this is just getting absolutely, just getting ridiculous. And, and 
And I'm at the point where I'm like, okay, when's November? You know, even though I am still, still in the position of like, all right, I don't even know. I'm not endorsing anybody. I don't even fully know what, what, where, where, it's, where it's going to come down for me. And I'm continuing to pray about that. So uh, anyway, uh, I have to wonder, you know, after the primaries, will Republicans have anything left to fight, you know, uh, to be able to fight? Or have they handed the Democrats everything they need? They've given them so much to work with. They, you know, we tend to just tear each other down. And uh, you got to wonder, you know, what's left? So um, I don't know. We'll see. And as far as the, the race is concerned, I mean, we're down to, what, six now, I think. So who will be getting out next? And who should get out? And what do you think? Who should get out? And who should hang in there and fight some more? That remains to be seen. We got, you know, Christie got out after he put so much in New Hampshire that didn't pan out for him. Uh, he, I think he helped to hurt uh, Rubio, but it didn't really help himself. And he's out. And uh, Carly Fiorina got out. I, I, seeing Carly up there because she adds a lot to uh, the issues and to the debate. Um, but she's out as well. So we will see how this all unfolds. Now, I wanted to come back as I close out here. I wanted to come back to Antonin Scalia, who passed away, Supreme Court Justice. He was found dead at his West Te- at a West Texas ranch. And, you know, um, again, as I said at the start of the show, my condolences are extended to his loved ones, to his family, really to the nation at the loss of such a servant on the court and a conservative one that who was so uh, passionate about his faith and about the Constitution uh, and about his duty. And so we lose, we have lost someone who really... um, was good for the country and good for conservatism. Um, And then it didn't take long after he died for the politics to kick in, of course, because now, obviously, everyone's looking to the president uh, who is expected to nominate a justice um, and, and Republicans saying that he needs to wait. He's a lame duck president. We need to have an election, have the election, and let the next president make the nomination. Um, Trump said there needs to be delay, 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 uh, fighting because and arguing because Republicans have said that they will not uh, confirm whomever the president appoints. Cruz said it doesn't matter who it is. He just thinks that we need to wait. So the bottom line is we knew that this would be an important election with the appointment of one or two justices. And now with this unexpected passing of Justice Scalia, we now see just how important this is. There's so much, and I can't help but think there's so much more than meets the eye here in the big scheme of things. We need someone who will do the right thing on that court. And obviously, I don't expect President Obama to nominate someone who will uh, be, uh, you know, the person that conservatives would would get, would get behind because he's a radical leftist, and and that's probably who who he will appoint. There's a lot hanging in the balance, you know? So so some say, yeah, sure, it's the president's job to nominate. It's his duty, and it's also Congress's duty not to confirm. So we shall find out how that all unfolds. But again, I do want to uh, extend my condolences to 
um, the family of Justice Scalia. And there have been tributes over the last few days concerning his life and legacy. So um, as we wrap up here, I am going to wrap up with, you know, I guess you can call it happy news, and that you know we have we have celebrated President's Day, we have celebrated um, Valentine's Day, and so those are happy things, hopefully, for everyone. And uh, you know, we also, I also had that concert that I talked about on Saturday with so many amazing Christian artists in that one place at the Show Me Center here in Southeast Missouri with Mandisa and Jeremy Camp and Family Force Five and Danny Goki. Oh my goodness gracious. And of course the Newsboys and Phil Wickham. Um there and, and I'm leaving I'm leaving some people out unfortunately, but it was a great atmosphere of worship and praise and and it's great. You know, I was willing to I was like, oh no, I'm gonna miss the GOP debate because I never like to miss those things. But sometimes you got to walk away from that for some sanity's sake. And so that was happy news. Wacky news, man, I tell you, all this politics, it's all wacky. It's wacky, wacky, wacky. And so I don't have anything else to add to that, okay? I really don't. So I just want to thank you for joining me for this pre-recorded edition of The Right Voice, Still I Rise, Empowerment Over Victimhood. I hope something was shared that encouraged you, that you are above and not beneath the head and not the tail, if you know Christ, you know, and that you have all kinds of potential. And uh, so, again, hit us up over on social media, Facebook. We are The Right Voice Radio. Please like us on Twitter. It's at The Right Voice One. All right. And next Tuesday, we hope to be back. And remember, the last Tuesday of every month, we have what we call our political potpourri, our table talk. And so my good friend, Christy King is my regular uh, guest co-host for table talk. And so I will be joined by Christy King as well as uh, some others to sit around the metaphoric table and shoot the the breeze about a variety of subjects, thus potpourri. So we'll talk about several things. So don't forget to tune in next Tuesday 8 to 9 Eastern, 7 to 8 Central. All right? And at that time, you will be able to call it. Tonight, you could not, but then you shall. All right? God bless you. Have a wonderful, wonderful, uh, have a wonderful evening. Have a wonderful rest of your week. And I will catch you on the right voice at another time. This is your host, Adrian Ross. God bless you. And God bless the USA. If tomorrow all the things were gone, I'd work for all my life. And I had to start again with just my children and my wife. Thank my lucky star to be living here today. But the flag still stands for freedom, and they can't take that.